Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we survived the great once-in-a-generation winter storm, freeze, apocalypse, etc. And we learned a few things, didn't we? We all learned what ERCOT was. We came to understand the historic desire to gather torches and pitchforks and go down to City Hall and throw out ineffective bureaucrats, didn't we? We learned how to stay inside, uh, warm inside of a 50-degree or colder house. But surely we learned more about our reliance on modern comforts and giving up one mees- than giving up one measly thing for Lent ever could, right? I mean, on the day that we recall the temptation of Jesus by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days where he was without food or water or very scarce amounts anyway, and this fast of his inspires this Lenten fast of our own uh, uh, for these 40 days, well, many of us will still have a lack of water and power and heat still very fresh in our minds. And while we thank God for the good gifts then of working furnaces and hot water and televisions that provide us endless amounts of streaming content to distract us and entertain us, we should now recognize that these things are not birthrights and in fact may lead us to forget the costs of living in a fallen world. Well, Lent is the season that we remind ourselves of the realities of life in a fallen world. So we stop eating chocolate or meat or we put some more in the offering plate or we dedicate more time to reading or study or prayer. And all of these things are really supposed to remind us of how good God is, of how much we possess, of, of, of God's provision for us. It's supposed to be a reminder of how comfortable we have become, how spoiled even we are given our historic prosperity. Giving up something small is a token uh, where we say, aha, I have enough. God has provided for me. I could even do with a little bit less. Well, as I said, going without power or heat or water, heaven forbid, Uh, for a few days, it really does add up to more of a sacrifice than giving something small up for Lent ever could. So you've already had your Lent. Congratulations. You can, you can go back to eating chocolate now. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Anyway, we should though seriously have more of a refined sense of sacrifice, shouldn't we? We should have more appreciation for Christ who was in the wilderness for those 40 days, fasting, being tempted by the devil. We should have a a more appreciation for what he has done for us. We should have a greater understanding of God, who time and time again withholds his power and might and judgment, and he even suffers for you. For the first time in any of our lives, I'm guessing some of us thought to ourselves, I might run out of food, right? We are really worried. And, and so what, whenever we enjoy our comfortable lives again, whenever we're back restored 100%, we should remember all of the gifts that God has bestowed on us. 
We see that in our readings this morning, in our reading from Genesis, we are reminded that with the flood, that God could have destroyed the whole earth, but he did save those eight persons. And even more so, he gave the sign, the, the ark in the sky, the rainbow, was a sign that he would never flood the whole earth again, and he hasn't. He spared those eight. And Peter, which is why we have our reading from Peter, uses the story of the flood to talk about baptism. He he talks about how God did save the eight during the great flood and how uh, we see the gifts of the waters of baptism, how baptism doesn't just remove body or dirt from our body, rather, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. What a curious phrase. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. You see, we can say to God, I am baptized. And our baptisms then are a great gift of peace and hope because we can appeal to God. We can, because God says we can have a clean conscience. No matter how far we have strayed from the life that God wants for us, we can always return to our baptism. We can always make that appeal to God for a clean conscience. You see, that spigot is always on. That water is never shut off. It's always God's promise to you that you are his if you want to be. And while I'm at it, let me say again, try to find your baptismal anniversary if you can. Know that date like you know your own birthday. And while I'm at it, Remember to plan for your funeral. Every now and then I like to remind people, only I've only gotten one funeral plan from one of our members. But if you want certain hymns sung or something, you better let someone know. But we will experience the wilderness of this sinful, fallen world. This last week was, was a reminder of that. And until the day when our baptism is fully realized, that's the day that you actually die, right? We will walk through this uh, fallen world. And like Christ, of course, we are called to live faithfully within this world of temptation and hardship, and the stakes are as high as can possibly be imagined. For centuries, the church would tell stories of saints, and I think that was to give hope to the faithful you know, that you really could live a life of obedience, that that you could really have a a life where you weren't, you didn't succumb to temptation and destroy your own life. Sometimes we might not even believe it's possible. Or they told stories of the miracles that the saints performed even after they died. You know, in the Catholic Church, you can't be a saint unless you do two posthumous miracles, two miracles after your death, right? And so I think that was to give hope to the believers Uh, that, you know, there is more to to life than this life of temptation and suffering. Well, this week the sermon kind of wrote itself, uh, given the events of the week, but also several events out there in the world. They they were reminders of the wilderness that we all must walk through and we all seek to survive. One was a story of temptation that has all but destroyed the legacy of maybe the most famous Christian apologist in the world. Just before he died last year, and immediately following his death, the squeaky clean reputation of a Christian uh, best-selling author, got lots of videos on YouTube, spoken all over the world, 
Uh, his name is Ravi Zacharias. You may have heard of him. Well, his reputation really started to take a beating. And following his death and a lengthy investigation by his own organization, many damaging details came to light about persistent, unrepentant, and covered-up sins. Now, I would say that this is a cautionary tale, but frankly, I'm sort of tired of hearing about cautionary tales. Every member of his board and members of his staff were well aware of previous cautionary tales, and it's not really a matter of knowing the tales, but what they lacked was nerve and the belief that the man that they trusted lied to them over and over and over again. So no matter how good his arguments were, or however popular his videos were on YouTube, however clever his rhetoric, and however many people overcame doubts with his help, his legacy will be that of a man who was tempted by the devil and lost. And for so long did he lead this double life, at least several years, it must be asked, and people I'm certain will ask, whether he uh, you know, even believed a single thing that he taught, or if his temptation was so great that he just stopped caring. Either way, it is a huge blow for the kingdom of God that, believe it or not, affects all of us. Every time a high-profile Christian fails, he makes it that much harder for us to claim any kind of moral high ground. Christians can always claim objective truth, and what, even though Christians fall, that doesn't affect the truth of the matter. That's all true. But, you know, people want to know and see it in real the lives of real people that their beliefs actually mean something, that when they go around talking about certain sins, that they actually haven't succumbed to them themselves. We need role models so that we do not lose hope that we can also be faithful and avoid temptation to the very end. Another heartbreaking story reminded me of the valley of the shadow of death. Vody Bauckham, a Baptist minister uh, who was actually at a local church here, Grace Family Baptist Church uh, in the northern part of town, before he moved to Zambia, and uh, led or formed a seminary there. Talk about a guy who puts his money where his mouth is. Uh, he just uh, indicated that he was diagnosed with heart failure. Now, you may have never heard of him, but uh, look him up, Vody Bauckham. He's got lots of stuff on YouTube. Powerhouse preacher, has a very significant international following. Uh, he was very helpful and, and, and instructive in helping the church to navigate some of the social justice issues of our day. And he is an extremely intense person, and his intensity is always a reminder to Christians just of the cost of Christian discipleship and the cost of knowing the truth. This is a guy who just eight years ago took up jujitsu on a whim and already has won like international competitions. I mean, everything he does, he's just one of those people. Now, heaven forbid he should die anytime soon. And, and I really mean that. Heaven forbid it. But just his being slowed down is a cost to the kingdom of God. Another prominent professing Christian died this week. Love him or hate him, and I suh suspect that there are, you're on one side of, of this equation. 
Rush Limbaugh filled the ears of countless numbers of Americans for decades. More than any single person, probably, he changed political discourse in this country, and he raised the stakes. You're kind of either on one side or, or the other. People hated him for that, or they loved him for that. But he was a champion, first, really, of, of conservative policies. But as he got older, really a, a champion of a conservative way of life. And as he looked death in the eye, really a decidedly Christian worldview. Well, these men are all examples of the frailty of life and the cost of Adam's disobedience. Their deaths or challenges should serve as reminders that death will come for us too. And so will the devil. Make no mistake, the devil plays for keeps. And he wants each and every one of you. And he will never give up until he has you. But God won't either. And God will not let the promises of your baptism leave you. Jesus' successful defeat of the devil during his time of temptation paves the way for our redemption. It's what makes your baptism so powerful. Because you are baptized into the name of the God who has defeated death and the devil. And so that is how, when Peter talks about a, your baptism is an appeal to a good conscience, it's not your good conscience. It's the good conscience of Jesus Christ. And you get credit for his obedience. And you'll get a resurrected body too, by the way, through faith. So don't give up even in the face of temptation or death. No, our victory over both, it'll be imperfect. There will be ups and downs. Our life of faith isn't a straight line up. It's, it's jagged for sure. But so long as we are fighting, we're winning. For Jesus has already won the race and given us the prize. Amen.